Imagine you walk 10,000 steps and you earn money that is directly on this device. Now you can go to any Apple Pay terminal and put your wrist up to it, and now you pay for your lunch. So we've created sort of a new currency that rewards you for your good habits. Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm Petra Belzebor, and this is the place to discuss tips, tricks, and hacks to build your resilience through your worst rock bottoms and get you to a place of success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life, professionals, individuals who've been through their own adversity, and allow them to share their authentic and real life stories, opinions, and ideas about how to utilize our worst rock bottoms and allow them to catapult us into success. Welcome to the show. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Uh, today we have got Manish Sethi on the end of the line. He is the founder of Pavlock that creates technology that coaches people to change their habits, which is fascinating to me because I'm uh, an addict myself and so I'm always interested in what people come up with to change habits. Manish has also been one of the most watched Shark Tank pitches on YouTube. So there's a lot of story here. Welcome to the show, Manish. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. Um, so give us a little bit of context. Just uh, what was it like growing up for you? Do you think that your uh, your parents and the education system kind of set you up for, you know, all the challenges that you might face as an adult? Yeah, um, I grew up in a small town in California. Um, I work. My parents are uh, immigrants from India, so they had an arranged marriage. They met three days before they got married. Um, they came to America and I was born and, uh, I grew up in like the public school system and there's something interesting about Indian kids in America, which is that Indian kids in America tend to excel, um, and have pretty high incomes compared to, um, people who were of, of other races or ethnicities. And I think a lot of that has to do with kind of the upbringing that parents have. But, uh, we, I went through a public school system and, um, as a young kid, I was always interested in video games. So I started designing video games when I was very young, around 10, 11 years old. Okay. Um, I ended up meeting some people, and uh, when I was very young, was able to get a book deal where I wrote a book called Game Programming for Teens, which came out when I was 16 years old. How did that uh, so happen? Very early on. Yeah, how did you manage that? I, Just I was really interested in video games, and there was a conference that was being held nearby in San Francisco. Um, I convinced my parents to let me go as a kid. And while I was there, there were a few author tables they were launching a new game development book series and i talked to them and i said um maybe someday i could write a book called you know game programming for kids or something and my hero at the time i posted on his forum saying the same thing and his response to me was i'll never hire anybody who's younger than 25 to write a book you're too dumb you're not ready and you won't get it done and i was like the hell are you talking about so if he had just said yeah you like go for it. I never would have done anything. But instead he said, mm. I couldn't do it. So over the next 10 days, I sat down in a room for eight hours a day, wrote 80 pages of a book, sent it above his head, pretending to be an adult and got a book deal signed. So, you, so, uh, I, lo so I love that. So that first like swing of adversity, basically telling you that you couldn't do it, actually propelled you to get hyper-focused to do it, lie about your age so you could get a bit of edge in there and actually prove him wrong. Yeah, I think this is a very consistent theme in my life, uh, being told I'm not able to do something. I have a big poster that hangs up uh, in my office that says, um, sometimes I feel like giving up, but then I remember all those motherfuckers I have to prove wrong. I love that. Uh, I'd probably run my life in that way as well. Yeah, exactly. 
So, um, so that was the beginning. I wrote this book. That was great. And it helped me get to uh, university. I went to Stanford University, uh, which is a great school. And it introduced me to my professor, BJ Fogg, who's a professor of habit psychology. Um, and I got to work with him a little bit. And it was fascinating watching myself through college because a lot of the kids at college at Stanford are very hard workers. They, they get to the library and they start working on the first day of the semester and they basically never leave. Um, and I, on the other hand, had a fundamental failure. I couldn't, I was unable to do it. And, um, I couldn't get myself to get work done. Uh, I always had trouble focusing and, um, I did some tests at Stanford. They did like a battering of, of psychological tests on me and, and determined that I had ADHD, this act of, um, a lack of focus or lack of being able to control my attention. Um, but what was always interesting is that I would be unable to get work done and no matter what would happen, I would always get, my paper would always get written just like two minutes before the deadline was due. The last Somehow, one. always right before the deadline, I would still get it done, and I would usually get a similar grade mm -hmm. to somebody who would put, you know, consistent hours in at the library every day. Um, and this is something I started to notice more and more, that there's two personality traits of, like, somebody, you might call them type A or type B, you might call them high conscientiousness or low conscientiousness, or in Myers-Briggs, perceiver and judger, or starter and finisher, there's these personalities that some people are really, really motivated to start new stuff and other people are motivated to execute upon stuff that's already done. And they teach us that if we're starters, that we're broken. They teach yeah, us that we have true. a disorder. That's true. But they, yeah, but what they don't realize is that there's one highly inverse correlation between a positive trait of people who are starters and negative towards finishers, and that's creativity. People who are really good at starting new stuff often have better ideas on what to do than the people who are good at finishing stuff. And this became a really it's interesting a skill point. in its own right. Yeah, because some people are really good at filling out spreadsheets, but other people need to know what spreadsheets should be filled out. And those two people are the same person. Um, and so when I was in college, I started to notice that these deadlines would always motivate me to get work done. And I was, I was fascinated by how, uh, how, I could, how this was happening. And I would sit down and read these habit self-improvement books, and they would say, why don't you take your goal, break it into concrete steps, put those concrete steps on your calendar, then work on a small amount each day until you've executed the, the task. Yeah. And I was like, this is bullshit. I keep trying this. It doesn't work. But what I did notice is that when there was a deadline, I would get stuff done. The secret wasn't to break down my, my work into manageable tasks. The secret was to add more deadlines. So I said, because how do I did, actually... But did you give your... Because I'm just thinking you're saying you can't focus, but then I'm picturing the kid who's writing this book eight hours a day and just getting it done. Was that because you gave yourself an imaginary deadline to, to send it to this guy because he told you you couldn't do it? Yeah, I got the first 80 pages of that book done. I sent it to the, the author, and then it took me another two years to write the next 160 pages. Oh, interesting. So once once the point was done, then the, 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 dead, the other deadline was... It's malleable. Sure. And, um, that, and that's the finisher side of things, right? Which would take you a little bit longer to, to get sort of. Massive hyper focus on one concrete goal. Yeah. And then a, a non reaction towards, um, towards the, uh, when it doesn't matter anymore. I don't care about actually writing a book. I just cared about getting, like, being that guy. And so, uh, in the same way, what, what I started to notice here is the same thing it's uh, a deadline, a, a, comp a competition, a punishment. A penalty. Okay. All of these are examples of a negative reinforcer. Yeah. When people talk about positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, we somehow have imbued within our psyche and within the social psyche that uh, positive reinforcement works better than negative reinforcement. And that's patently false. Patently false. The fact is that negative reinforcement makes habits start changing. Positive reinforcement makes habits stick. 
you can't change a habit without having some fear of a penalty because most people would just will just revert back to doing nothing. So you need both. Yeah, both together becomes a very, very powerful move. So when I started to look at this model of how do I add more deadlines to my life, I realized there were a couple things that motivated me a lot, specifically a fear of loss, fear of loss of money. So I started making bets with friends that I would do my work. I said, I will send you 10 pages of a draft by day after tomorrow, or else I will pay you or pay a charity that I don't like $100. (laughs) Yeah. And what would happen is that I've, I've lost maybe three bets out of thousands I've run in my entire life. And that became the ability for me, kind of a magic pill that allowed me to create manageable deadlines that I could add to my life. It's not that I want to do a task and I'll do it. It's that if I don't do it, I'll get a failure penalty. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It does. And it kind of turns on its head this idea of just rewarding yourself like once it's complete. Because often people are trained within the education system to a deadline, right? So to an exam or to something like that. And then you're an adult and you lose some of that. Yes, you might have work deadlines, but a lot of the self-motivated stuff, you now have no structure around it other than what you create. And people aren't mm-hmm. taught how to do that. And I guess for, yeah, and I guess for some people, the breaking it down thing can work, but you realize that it just doesn't work for everyone. And it certainly didn't work for you. Yeah. I think that there's a good 50% of people who are motivated by fear of loss. Um, and I think that those 50% of people continuously feel lost in modern society as adults. They get work done when their boss tells them to do it, but as soon as it's something that they have to do for themselves, uh, something like a New Year's resolution, they start to fail. And what are some, uh, of, what so are some I, of the judgments that, you, that people, those sorts of people get? What are the, some uh, of the judgments I mean, that you might I think have that gotten? A lot of it's self-described judgments, uh, but a lot of it's external as well. So things like, uh, you're lazy, you're not focused, why don't you just do it? Come on, it's so easy, just do it. It sounds so simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so easy for me to give advice. It's so funny when I try to give people marketing advice, and I'm like, why don't you do this or this or this? And they're like, why don't you do that? And I'm like, whoa, I don't know. Like, ah, I got other stuff to do. (laughs) Yeah. So it's hard to take your swallow your own pill. But that said, I started doing – so I ran a blog. I started a blog that uh, I would do experiments um, that my readers would vote on. And I did this set of productivity experiments around 2012. And in these experiments, I tried to motivate myself to lose weight and get more productive. Uh, first thing I did was I wanted to lose like 20 pounds. So I did, uh, a bet every day that I would do intermittent fasting and eat only paleo food. Um, and by adding a 30 day bet, it was easy. I just never failed and lost like 20 pounds. But then the second thing I wanted to do was to write more, become more productive. And I said, how will I get myself to do this? Well, whenever I sit down on my laptop, I start using Facebook. Whenever I sit on my laptop, I start wasting time. Yeah. So what if I hire someone to follow me around? And every time I waste time on Facebook or, or stop writing, she slaps me in the face. That's quite a job. I, I had someone on Craigslist put up an ad that said, slap me if I get off task. And within like 30 minutes, something like 30 or 40 people had sent me an application. They're like, is this a joke? Is this a joke? So I ended up hiring this one girl. Her job was to follow me for two weeks, for about two or three hours a day. And every time I got off task, she'd just sit down next to me. I was trying to write articles for my blog. And um, I was typically writing like one article a week. And uh, I was like, okay, well, if I get off task, slap me in the face. So within like 30 minutes, she's like, Manish, what are you doing? She starts tapping me on the shoulder. Come on, Manish, don't make me. And almost rarely, only one or two times in this two-week period, did she ever actually hit me. Mostly it was like a reminder tap on the shoulder that I was being watched. But what happened was massively interesting. It became, first of all, a collaborative experience. I was like, hey, does this sound good? Does that sound good? Could you look up an image while I do this? Yeah. But secondly, my writing speed just became – I wrote basically three and a half months of content in about four days. It was like 
I was able to write you know, four hours a day straight, no stopping, no breaks, because of I set this pre-commitment and I had in the moment instantaneous accountability next to me. And I published an article called uh, "Why I Hired a Slapper to Get Me Off Craigslist," and, uh, <laughs> and why I hired a slapper off Craigslist uh, uh, to get me off Facebook. And apparently the word slapper in England means something, something else. Something else, yeah. <laughs> so I go to bed and I wake up and we were viral all over the UK. Viral on the Daily Mail. Yeah, you would be. And by the time I wake up, it's, it's got to the East Coast and NPR is calling me. Uh, so I get to a phone call from, from National Public Radio in America. And within four days, I was shared all over the world. I was on TV. I was on hundreds of news sources. For four days, I was famous. I was like, this is awesome. Um uh, <laughs> But then four days later, it was gone. It was completely gone. I was nobody again. And I was like, this is interesting. Like, how do I recreate this viral experience and, and um, help other people? Well, it was more about, it was more definitely a selfish act. It was like, how do I recreate this viral experience? And uh, I decided, what if I took a dog shock collar and I rewrote it such that every time I went on Facebook, this collar would give me an electric shock. I called up a friend and he's like, yo, let's do it. Let's go to Radio Shack. So he was an electronics guy. He helped me pull apart this um, old dog collar we had. And within, you know, 24 hours, we had this little prototype where I was going on Facebook and getting shocked every time. And uh, I was about to post this video online. But as I watched it, I thought to myself, this is actually really interesting. There's a million wearable devices out there that track what we do. Yeah. But this one's actually changing what I do. Maybe this is better than a funny blog post. Maybe this could be a real business that can really help people. And so that was the idea for my company, which I started, which is a wearable device technology company that helps people change habits with our product, Pavlox. It's on my wrist. Okay. And whenever you see that little light, so that light yeah. is giving me an electric shock because I pressed the button in this case. Yeah. Uh, and so the product and the company that we've done, we have 75,000 customers, uh, about 12 to 12, 15,000 people wear it right now around the world, um, is it's a wearable device that lets you program in your habits. We have good habits, we have bad habits, and we have waking up, which is our most common habit. Um, and what we've done is we created a product which rewards you uh, for doing good habits, it uh, gives you an electric shock when you do bad habits, and uh, make sure that you get out of bed and don't fall back asleep. Uh, so that's kind of like what the company does, and that's what, uh, what, we've been, what we've been heavily working on is making a, uh, a company that can let people commit to their goals with almost no chance of failure. Um, other and how does track. that? So I'm just curious about how it works. Like, um, how does it link to, for example, my, the habit I'm trying to kick is just eating sugar, right? And I keep, you know, in a stressful early stage entrepreneur kind of uh, situation, which is what my business is in, um, scaling up and all that. So, you know, the stress around that. Um, often sugar is the thing that I just can't cut. And I, and I keep doing the cycle of like the habit. Like, so how would you program something within that? How would you, how would it know? Is it track? Like, how does it work? Sure. So there's a, there's a difference between killing sugar for good and reducing the cravings. Yeah. Uh, majority of users who use it for sugar want to reduce cravings, uh, but they don't want to get rid of eating cookies ever again. Right. Um, however, you're looking at people who are smoking cigarettes. They want to quit smoking for good. Yeah. So there's two different ways to do this. So the in the moment reducing of cravings, you simply press the button when you notice that you have a craving. What happens when you have it when you signal an electric shock into your body is it signals the prefrontal cortex to become aware. Mm -hmm. And it shuts down the uh, reptile basal ganglia, which is kind of the habit part of your brain. Yeah. Um, it knocks you out of automatic mode and into the present. And so by simply pressing the button, you'll instantly reduce any kind of non-real craving. If you're actually hungry, 
So we tend to see users will just simply press the button for a few days. They'll start to notice earlier into the cycle where the craving is happening. Most often it's due to some sort of physical object in the room. Like if there's a sugar candy bar or dish in your room, they'll see it, they'll notice it, and instantly their brain will be like, wait, what? Oh, shit. That, right, that item is going to cause me to get zapped in a few minutes. So it and gets so, you out of the reactive fight or flight state, which is not conscious, and into more of a, okay, it buys me that little bit of buffer, that little zone where I can actually make a decision about whether I do this or not. Yeah, I call it awareness therapy. It makes you aware in the moment. Um, but for So that's, that's a very common use case. Uh, people trying to reduce cravings or reduce negative thoughts. Uh, one of our top ones these days is getting over your ex. So whenever you catch yourself having a negative thought or a recurring thought loop or thinking about your ex, they'll press the button, yeah. snaps them out of it, but also makes them notice what they're doing and what the context is around them. Uh, when I was trying to get rid of my uh, thoughts about my ex, I found out after a few days of it that I was still using plates that she'd given me. Mm. And by throwing away the plates, I was able to completely remove the continuing thought loop. So was it like um, that you so had a trigger that you had to get rid of? Yeah, and the trigger it wouldn't convert into conscious recognition of it until like half an hour to an hour later. So I was, I was barely noticing. I would be thinking about it without thinking about it, which is really interesting. Well, what's fascinating um, is that you're using this for thought patterns as well as like the outside uh, addictions, the sugars, the, the alcohol, the cravings, whatever that might be, but actually just noticing being aware of your thoughts and how they impact how you feel. It's massive. I think everything starts with thought. And um, the more and more I go through it, the more and more I realize that accessing and attempting to project thoughts while using this app really allows kind of like a superpower of um, reprogramming small things like uh, saying I can't versus I won't or I choose not to by uh, catching myself complaining whenever I caught myself I did this for like seven days and whenever I caught myself saying a complaint uh, I defined a complaint as saying something negative without stating a solution within the same sentence so this sucks it's raining is a complaint this sucks it's raining so I will make sure to put an umbrella by the front door is not a complaint so what happened is I would catch myself saying, this sucks, it's raining, shock, say the solution. And within three or four days, I didn't need to shock anymore. I was naturally thinking solutions instead of complaints. So totally revolutionized the way I approach the problems of the world. And it only took three or four days, which is really interesting to me. And so obviously this is making a lot of sense, the, the reinforcement, the brain science, all those sorts of things. But what was the journey like to get to this place? Did people very quickly buy into the idea uh, did you have to convince people? Obviously, you're testing it. Like, what were the challenges or what are the challenges in sort of getting this to market? Uh, there's huge challenges. One of our biggest um, our biggest things that we are successful at, at achieving, but I think one of our biggest failures as a marketing uh, endeavor was going after the bad habit market. So we're really, really, really good at making things, people stop things for good. So mm. quitting smoking. Uh, we have a five-day program, which, which we call aversion therapy. Um, it's where you ever get really drunk on like tequila or get really sick at a restaurant and you get so sick that you vomit and you like never want that alcohol again. Yeah. And in one night you go from liking a habit to hating a habit. Yeah. That's called an aversion. It's a Pavlovian association towards nausea or electric shock. We have a five-day program where you basically smoke a cigarette while you get shocked. And what oh. happens is you're going to want to put the cigarette down, but you stick through with it for five to ten minutes a day for five days. Your brain creates an association between the motion of the hand, the smell, the motion. And over over 50% of our users will completely quit smoking in five days when we measure them six months and a year later. It's, the numbers are astronomical. Um, nicorette patches are 7.5% effective. In one study we ran at, at a university in Boston, it was 75% effective with our product. So the numbers are astronomical. But what happened is that people – 
Number one, people don't want to give up bad habits. Number two, That's people true. don't. Yeah. Number two, people don't want to get shocked. Number three, people don't believe it. So those problems <laughs> became yeah. huge fight uh, that became no fun. And uh, when we started, but then we noticed that one of the most common apps that we were was being used. We have like a bunch of different habit apps within our Avlock app. Uh, was the waking up on time alarm clock. And I think everybody understands that. It's like, oh, it's an alarm clock that shocks you awake. Done. It makes sense. It's, it's, it, it fits into your mental model pretty simply. Yeah. So when we started doubling down on that, that was when we started to uh, started really grow. Um, sorry. We created a second product called the Shock Clock, which is an alarm clock for helping people wake up early. And it tracks your sleep cycles and vibrates you gently in your lightest stage of sleep to wake up. Then you have one and a half minutes to get out of bed and do jumping jacks or else you'll receive the zap. Oh, so you have to be fully awake. And, and what happens quickly is that, number one, people are not wanting to zap. They're fully awake. If you go back to bed, it starts to zap you. But more importantly, it started to make it so when the vibration happened, people would instantly become alert. And very quickly, within a couple of weeks, they didn't even have to wear it anymore. Their body was trained to wake up with alertness at that time. So that became one of our big breakthroughs, was promoting, uh, helping people uh, wake up as kind of a, a lead gen into other sort of habit change thoughts. Um, if I could go back in time, I probably would not have pitched bad habit cessation. I would have pitched like thought change. Um, okay. so like being able to create, press the button when you have a craving or a negative thought, I would have focused on that rather than the five days to breaking a habit. Um, recently we started adding good habits, which I already told you how this works. Uh, we created betting pools. So people commit to going to the gym, people commit to filling out a gratitude journal or doing their morning routine. And what they do is that they put a pledge between one to $10 a day. If they fail, they lose $1 to $10 a day. But when they succeed, they win $1 to $15 a day. So um, that's been really, really fun. We have people who are doing their morning routine, competing with their friends, family, and the, the Pavlov community and winning you know, hundreds of dollars a month. So uh, that one's really fun. How do you know that people are honest? Because it's, well, it's We have sort of... three different methods of tracking. So like the most common one is take a photo of yourself at the gym. Okay. Uh, so your camera in the app. Second one is like an integration. They type the gratitude entries directly into the app. Oh, so, so you actually see it done. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's all built into the app. So it's all, it's all measured and, and accountability and cheating is a, is a key component on uh, something we saw. Um, but what's been most interesting to me over the last uh, six months, maybe almost a year now, um, we started to notice that a lot of our users were buying the product but weren't using it. Mm. And I was really intrigued, especially by our high value clients, like people who are entrepreneurs, which is my background, biohacker entrepreneurs, were really buying the product with the intention of using it, but they're so busy, they never even get into it. And um, I started to look at the problems that these people were having with businesses, and I noticed that they're all very similar to the problems I was having, which is reactiveness mm -hmm. and um, not actually setting aside time to do things that were proactive or business building, but instead reacting to stuff that was going on in the day. And so what we did is we created a coaching program. We created a coaching program called Productive Entrepreneur where we basically set up, uh, we basically started having phone calls with these uh, entrepreneurs who were buying the product and talking about their business. And we were like, all right, well, what's your issues here? It sounds like your goals are to create these morning routines and start focusing on improving these parts of your business. And we started to notice that our coaches would be able to identify kind of their personality types as well as the times of the day when they were most energized and start associating and assigning them tasks to do during these days. So rather than reacting responsibly to your email throughout the entire 24 hours of the day, we'd be like, all right, your job is from 9 a.m. till 9.45 a.m. You're going to set a timer. I'm going to be with you at the same time, either on a call or 
I'll send you a message saying it's time for you to start. Mm -hmm. You hit go and you get going. And what we've been doing is we found that like uh, our entrepreneurs will start to kind of batch all their tasks early in the day. And within a couple of weeks have so much free time that they finally have the ability to start doing stuff that's actually good for their business. So a few weeks ago, we had one of our, uh, one of our first clients. He, um, so I guess this must've been two or three months ago at this point. So he had, uh, built a business on SEO. He was doing a lot of client work and, um, we started saying, all right, you're going to do these focus sessions starting at 8 a.m. You're going to do at least three of them before noon. So he started doing it at 8 a.m., 8.30, and by, by 9.30, he was done with all of the work that he used to complete by 6 or 7 p.m. And he did this every single day at 9.30. He's like, I don't know what to do all day. Hmm. So we're like, well, why don't you start focusing on something that can business building? So he's like, all right, what I'll try to do is book some new sales. I'll try to get some new clients. Within three weeks, this guy closed his first six-figure deal. Three weeks later, he closed another six-figure deal. He had quadrupled the size of his business. So wait, let me let me let me pause you because I'm right in that entrepreneur space. So I totally get it. It's reactive. It's um, uh, you know, let me respond to this email straight away. This kind of scarcity mentality, rather than I've got to really make an effort to be strategic and have the overview and actually let go to other people and that sort of thing. But what you're talking about essentially is breaking down into blocks in order to achieve a goal, right? Which was the thing at the beginning. So, so I'm like, yep. is it, what's the, is it just the accountability factor within Coach. the community, the coaching element to just, so that they've got someone to answer to as far as how they do it? Someone to answer to who's smart, plus actual capabilities of tracking. And then if they're not achieving their goals, we're able to send them touches and zaps and vibrations through the device. So we know if they're not achieving the goal, we actually hold them accountable. We have a couple of our users who we've even started doing things like they commit to doing their tasks or else we turn off their internet and block their phone. So it's like you do your work by 930 or else you have no access to internet all day. And no one fails when you're <laughs> access to your phone. No. So, yeah, and we also have begun implementing sort of rewards programs. So if you do succeed, we give you sort of a refund back on your purchase price. So the idea being that you're incentivized to not fail and yes, succeed. Um, and one of the mo most core things we actually, we just started, we just launched this, uh, this week, which is putting a few of them in a, into groups. So now you have a group of these, uh, different people who are all, uh, before you go to bed, you, pro you write down three things you're going to do. And then in the morning you do them. That's one of the core parts of our program. Uh, so we have inside of our app, there's like a place where you write down the three tasks you'll do tomorrow. And then as you do them throughout the day, you check them off and take a photo proving you've done it. Um, and so now we've started creating these betting pools within all the clients who are in our app. So three or four different entrepreneurs all have their own tasks of the day and they can see what other people are doing. And now they're in a race to beat the other entrepreneurs. So it's like gamifying tasks for your own business. And um, the efficacy is massive and it's always so simple. But the problem is as an entrepreneur, we don't have a boss. And so we don't have anybody to answer to. Uh -huh. And without that negative reinforcer, without that accountability, we end up just twiddling our thumbs all day. Uh, or so being, or being stuck, being busy, right? So you're, you're being busy. You feel like you've been busy, but actually, did you do the stuff that's going to focus you and build your business? Totally. Yeah. Right? So that, that's my goal is to fix that problem because the problem should be a business problem. It shouldn't be a person problem. And so if we can fix that person problem, I think we can make a big, big change in the world. And I'm loving the community element because I think that's what we miss as well is it can feel pretty isolating, uh, you know, working, huddling over our laptops. And then you, you do want the quick dopamine hit of your Facebook or your notifications or, you know, doing something that's actually not there to build the business, not like not working on the business, but just kind of faffing around in it. Yep. 
That's absolutely exactly what happens. This is absolutely. So what about the people? And I'm just curious about this because I'm not saying you can solve it. But what about the people that are, like you said, attached to their habits? They're like, yeah, I want to give up this thing, but I don't really want the shock or shock or the reinforce. Like, I'm actually quite attached to this way of coping in my life. Yeah. So obviously, we're not a product for everybody. I think there's a lot of people that don't ever want to put on even even an Apple Watch. You know, they don't even want any sort of tracking. Those people who are uh, very much afraid of of being tracked by anything. That's true. Um, or and those people are typically the ones with the least information that's worth knowing. But uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh. But um, obviously, we're not a product for everybody yet. I, I believe that the way that we're trying to solve this is by creating the positive reinforcers. So by earning money for doing good habits, it becomes kind of a good reinforcer. Um, the ultimate goal of Havelock is to create a currency in the style of, imagine you walk 10,000 steps and you earn money that is directly on this device. Now you can go to any Apple Pay terminal and put your wrist up to it, and now you pay for your lunch. So we've created sort of a new currency that rewards you for doing good habits. That's kind of the ultimate goal. And so um, I do have a vision of everybody in the world wearing Pavlock and creating a, a basically a large currency that allows people to mine currency by doing healthy habits and spend it at any place that accepts any sort of credit card um, and be making that like worldwide. That's the ultimate vision company. Um, but to get there, we'll take multiple steps. So we start off by focusing on what we can solve easily. Um, we focus on a consumer model. And over the next year, we're starting to expand out and branch out towards medical um, trying to spin off a quit smoking product that we can get FDA approved and start selling it into healthcare. Um, in the same way that we've been having such success with that, uh, we've had a ton of users who have used it for serious mental disorders, things like anxiety, depression, PTSD, or even schizophrenia. That's and um, they've been able to shape their thoughts with just a little bit of in the in the mo- in the moment um, zap. And so if we can start off by, uh, I, uh, we, we've, we've clearly proven that this works. We have 75,000 people using it. Um, one thing that's blowing my mind recently is there's no alarm clock for deaf people. There's none that exists. And we found out that a ton of people, or a ton, like not a ton, but uh, in the few hundreds of our users are deaf or hard of hearing, and they don't have an alarm clock. There's nothing for them. So we are like rebranding our product as an alarm clock for deaf people. Um, so that like small, there's small different niches I'm, I'm approaching with the ultimate goal of one large, uh, think of it like an Apple watch that actually works. You know, like that's kind of, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it can solve so many very real issues. Um, and so you're, you're just going back to your journey of like being the kid who couldn't focus and, you know, going to school and realizing that there was some, that, you know, that almost accepting that you were more visionary than the finisher or understanding yourself a little bit more. What are, have you accepted that about yourself? Like, what are the ways that you map out your own time that allow you to be the most uh, successful or productive? Yeah, so small things. I have daily bets. So I make bets with friends and my team about things I promise to commit to. Um, and then if I, I, if I don't succeed with them, I don't earn any money or I lose a lot of money. Um, I have autom- automation. I've been adding a lot of automation into my life. For example, this podcast interview, I told my assistant, hey man, book interviews. Yeah. I don't want to hear anything else. I'm not going to do yeah. anything. He set it up. Me yeah. show up my calendar or else. Yeah. Uh, so adding automation, adding negative reinforcers into my day. Uh, to me, positive reinforcers are almost irrelevant. So they don't really add any value to my life. Um, so that's kind of the way I focus on it. I have my own coach. Obviously I use the Pavlov coach as my own coach. Oh, interesting. Okay. So there's something yeah. about consistently working on yourself through a coach and through the different mechanisms and habits 
in order to keep you pushing forward? Yeah, you need somebody else to hold you accountable. It's that simple. If you don't have somebody else to, especially for somebody like me, if I sit down at my computer without a concrete plan and a bet, I'm going to be on Facebook. And so as long as I have a concrete plan, I'll still be on Facebook until exactly 20 minutes before the deadline, but at least I'll get that task done. So by adding more and more of those bets or tasks or things like this, immutable, non-cheatable uh, events on my calendar, um, I'm able to create value. And also one of the big things for me was understanding personality types. I think there's a lot of really interesting models and personalities. Um, there's a thing called Myers-Briggs, mm-hmm. which, has, uh, which I found a ton of value in identifying differences between people. And one thing that's about my personality type is the ENTP, which is kind of a visionary entrepreneurial type um, who's incapable, utterly incapable of doing anything, but really good at coming up with good ideas. <laughs> one thing that really blew my mind was that the way that I process information is through speaking out loud. I create new ideas through speaking out loud. And I always known that for to be true, but not known that to be true in the sense that it was obvious that I came up with great ideas when I talked to other people. But until I saw it written in text, I didn't really think about it that way. Well, which so is really hard if you're early stage business, if you're working by yourself, that's really hard. You don't have the mechanism to do that. It's like if someone says to me, Manish, could you edit this document? It's going to take me a week. But if somebody says, hey, Manish, let's edit this document now, it'll take us five minutes. So I need to be working on it with another human being. And so I try to program the majority of my real tasks to be done with another human being sitting next to me because that just that's just what works for me. Um, other different types work in a different way. And so one of the core things we, we do in our program is help people and entrepreneurs identify their types first and help them to understand what works for them. Because some people need to sit in a, in a quiet room and be alone with their thoughts first. And other people need to work with somebody else in the room. And those two people just have different operation styles. So there's something so just about self-awareness, understanding yourself, what works for you, and then provide, creating the mechanisms surrounding that to support you being your best self in that way. Exactly, because it's a waste of time to do stuff that you're not good at if you're if you could be doing it. If, if all it takes is a slight environmental shift, right? For example, if if we have this one uh, this one guy yesterday, man, this uh, one one of my one of my friends, he made a bet with me. He's like, I'm gonna get a hundred opt-ins for my email list. He had like no email list. He's like, I'm gonna get a hundred opt-ins by tonight. He had 20 hours to do it, and he got 101 opt-ins. He did not fail, and so it's like. Why would he not make bets every day? Worst case scenario, he pays me 50 bucks and gets 98 opt-ins, right? But like, best case scenario, he started from nothing and now has 100. That's so he's still winning for one day. He's still winning. It's sort of like the Tim, Tim Ferriss thing about if you had a gun to your head, right? Um, what exactly. could you, like, how could you do it? How could you get out of your, get your edge? Um, and so behind, besides the, the habits and productivity thing, you sound like you're a born entrepreneur and there's that, discussion about whether we're born or made, right? But you sound like you know how to hustle and you um, know how to how to build things. What advice would you give to an entrepreneur or somebody who, you know, is thinking in the way that you do, but um, there's a lot of risk attached to, to business? Like, what advice would you give to somebody in general just about starting business? Uh, I think that's a, a really vague question. I mean, the ones I always start with are things like uh, identify your own personality uh, and, and learn who you are because know thyself before you get started. Um, one other piece of advice I often give is to optimize your downside and realize that your downside isn't really that down. So um, I follow stoicism um, as kind of a philosophy. And one thing that I learned from Seneca, he always said that you should spend a few weeks every year living your biggest fear so that you realize your biggest fear isn't that 
that's scary at all. So I spent, I took that car, uh, so I spent a few weeks, I lived in the wilderness for four, uh, for four weeks uh, with no backpack or sleeping bag trying to survive. I've lived in homeless shelters trying to experience what the worst could be. Uh, I've run out of money or refused to spend money for weeks at a time to see what happens if I actually have no money. And honestly, what I, the conclusion I've come to is that unless I lose a limb or lose my life, nothing hurts me. There's no way to hurt me unless I lose a limb or lose my life. And even if I lose a limb, I'd probably get one of those cool robot limbs. <laughs> yeah. So, like, it's not even that big a downside. So that understanding made it a lot easier to make the tough decisions, like turning down financing or turning down fundraising, because I realized that our company can survive because I can survive. Uh, fun, uh, running out of money is not a death wish, if that makes sense. And so I would recommend that people understand and identify what the biggest downside is or what the biggest chance of failure is, and then try to experience it. Because once you experience it, you will realize it's not that bad at all, and it gives you this amazing liberation. Um, nothing is going to make you worse at going after big risks than having a fear of failure. I love that. I um, mean, obviously, yeah. And obviously, the, uh, the the best advice probably is to grab a padlock or call us for a coaching call. Well, obviously, <laughs> totally. Uh, so where can people find you? That leads us nicely into closing things. Where can people find you online? Uh, so you can check us out at pavlock.com. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I'll, what I'll do is uh, I'll drop a... I'll drop a discount code if anybody's interested in the Pavlock. Use the code Petra. Amazing. For 15% off. Excellent. And if you're, yeah, if you're interested in doing any, if anybody here is an entrepreneur or interested in doing kind of a change of their habits, um, shoot me an email, uh, manishapavlock.com. Are you able to put that email? Absolutely. We'll add all that into the show notes. Yeah, shoot me an email and let me know and I can get you a free call with, uh, with our coach. Amazing. Thank you so much. Manish, thank you for your advice, your wisdom. Let's get some negative reinforcement going, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I love the, the coaching and answering the, the problem that, of so many entrepreneurs today, which is understanding themselves and being able to connect to a community that can support habit change and help us get away from the, this world of distraction, right? And get focused on actually creating our dreams. Manish, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Please do subscribe and review on iTunes. Every comment makes a difference. We really appreciate hearing from you. And please do get in touch through PetraBelzebor.com if you're interested in any training, coaching, therapy, or just to join the community and get more information on ways that you can build your own resilience. Until next time.